Hey everyone, are you looking for top tier magic analysis, standard deck guides, and modern sideboard guides? If so, please try another podcast. This is the wrong one for you. This one's where I make fun of KYT and then he quote unquote tricks me into talking about <laughs> high level strategy. High level? Yeah, this is the oh. Table for Two podcast, dumbasses. Yeah. I almost feel like saying elite level sometimes. But, elite uh, level? KYT's looking at his notes. He, he wrote down things so he can sound clever. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, it's a grandmaster class here. It, <laughs> we give grandmaster classes. It's usually a casual feel, and I think people... I just want people to know that I actually prepped the show in my head <laughs> before before we meet up. Yeah, that's we're sort of... See, that, that's like... We have the, we're the perfect yin and yang, you know? You're, like, all prepared. You have your notes written out. Literally typed out notes here, everyone. Typed out notes. He's, he's like, super prepared. And... Uh, me, I'm just here winging it. Literally, this intro, he's just like, Alex, you always do some random intro and I'm unprepared for it. Just do it again. I'm like, okay, here we go. So, yeah. I uh, just want to thank people who uh, treat us to coffees uh, by coffee.com and plug, plug, plug. But Yeah, no, thank you a lot. Finally, after last time, KYT stiffed me out of a coffee because the machine broke. He's uh, he's treating me to two coffees and a bowl of ramen. So, you know, I'm I'm finally getting you know the big bucks that that my participation on this podcast deserves. So, um, so also I, we're here well, at Esports Central because yeah. I know you love to plug that. I, lo- I love to type in caps, but uh, oh yeah, before <laughs> I'm getting distracted here, but shout out to Dave Rude, uh, who's been a huge fan of our show. Who who, like I said, it doesn't really like he's really respected among the pros that that have played back in the day because he's a former pro, pro tour champion. But and, and now he's the jack of all trades guy at Harry T's. But Twitter follower wise, he has less than 200. And I'm just trying to tell you that tell people that's why it doesn't matter how small you think you are on Twitter or whatever. If you just plug the show, he made a top three podcast. He has as number two, and instantly different people started following me and and said they they would check out the show this episode and previous episodes so it really does help and if if you're a new listener definitely reach out to us so that we know that we're actually like breaking uh new ground getting new audience uh every week because that's what uh keeps inspiring motivating the the guy next to me to to, to keep doing this type of stuff so who's the guy next to you i don't see anybody (laughs) so shout outs to you and thank you so much also yeah also if you're not following dave rude he's he's kind of gas he's he's a pro tour champion and has another top eight i think one of the only people to uh to really i think he once beat kai and uh in a team team tournament or something. Either that or he, he lost many times to Kai. One of the two, it's hard to tell. Kai beat almost everybody, so Right. But and he's Dave super Rude, confident. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's the guy that when I when I met him I was like, Hey, you're the most recent PT champ from Canada. I'm the next PT champ from Canada. And I was joking, but I was also correct as it turns out. He's right. He's super confident in limited, which is why he said that he doesn't put any limited podcast in his top three and uh for good reason, I think I think he's regarded as a as a limited expert. So yeah, well, he he called us like True Detective season one. Have you seen True Detective? No, no, I haven't. You need to watch Mis- it, man. Misplay, I guess. Would you would you describe yourself as more of a Matthew McConaughey or a Woody Harrelson? Okay, <laughs> the answer is you're Woody Harrelson. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, I was I'm, afraid. I knew that was probably <laughs> the answer, but I didn't want that to be. The answer. <laughs> you're, you're the you're the you're the married guy, man. You know, with with with. And I'm 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 like I'm like the crazy one who's just like sitting there and, and, and spewing off random nonsense. That's that's basically you should we should watch season one. 
hopefully we can keep it going though and i don't know we're not really gonna have season breaks i wasn't think, thinking but we might have to i, I think some, to, yeah sometimes a break is good um yeah, we'll, so, and then, to make people yeah. miss it and we're gonna announce you know put a trailer out like coming soon to theaters near you <laughs> season two this time with whole new cast instead of you and me it's just like I don't know, you know, John Stern and Seth Manfield or something, you know, just just a whole new whole new group of people. <laughs> um, I so so if you guys treat us coffee, you can you can for for our next episode for any episode, we will answer some of your questions. Um, <laughs> that's a that's a big guarantee. I don't know. Oh, I don't okay. know if I can guarantee. KYT will try to get me to answer. One yeah, of your well, 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 I will do my not... best to dodge it. And that's what you get for your price of coffee. As long as they're somewhat relevant, as long as they contain some form of nonsense or or, or loosely related to high level strategy, we will we will answer them. So, without further ado, let, let's let's just jump at one of them that uh, I think I want to answer, um, which is which is from from John Medina actually. From Jonathan Medina, huge, huge supporter of the show, um, has been plugging our show every time. Has been listening. He liked. I mean. I think it's only cool for for me and you, but I love it. Obviously, love it when he's live tweeting, him listening to show and reacting. Oh yeah, I love it too. I love it too. I I, I would go as far to say that you know I think I said this to you before that I think he's a bigger supporter for this (laughs) of of this podcast than when we did Crazy Talk. You know. (laughs) (laughs) So I've I've seen him um, say that like one of the episodes we did recently really actively improved this game. Like he he cyborged differently uh, using the a bit bigger uh, concept and felt like he had more success with it. And then from, from, I think it was our last show where we talked about, or you, you mentioned how you would rather, people should focus on building their fundamentals rather than specific matchups or cards that, that will rotate out that will be useless um, once rotation happens and, and lasts for only a few minutes time. So he, He's, he writes, uh, my question, Alex, would be this. He talks about building up your strategy or fundamentals. This will increase your overall skill. What does that mean? What is a fundamental? How would I strengthen these? So so how would he be able to sit down? Let's say tonight he wanted to sit down, and he's been playing mono blue tempo or whatever to work on his fundamentals. What should he be doing, and what does that actually mean? Well, I think focusing on the decisions you're making rather than, like, the matchup, right, I think is, is how you need to try and figure out your fundamentals like some examples we've given in the past fundamentals right is like figuring out combat you know how do you attack and block optimally you know you have to being able to figure out like let's say the sport doesn't change or change or how if it changes in a predictable manner how how is combat going to lead to the next few turns who's going to win the race should be should i be racing should i be trying to block and trade you know identifying those kinds of things like the the classic mike flores thing of you know identifying who's the beatdown like it's very important to figure out what your role is in your in your matchup. You know, it goes along with when we were talking about being going a little bit bigger, is or being way smaller, right? Is that you? You know, you need to you want to figure out what your role is, and if you should be going way smaller, do that. If you should be going a little bit bigger, you should be doing that. But you need to figure out where you need to position yourself, and so like understanding that is going to lead to a lot more wins than necessarily like knowing exactly how to sideboard for one particular matchup uh, another thing is like sequencing is super important like we come from a chess background right and you know there's these chess problems where it's like there's a, a, a mate in three or something right and you could know what the three moves are but it's really important to do them in the right order because you do them in the wrong order and let's your opponent make a move to be able to defend themselves 
versus if you do in the right order, they're, they're forced and there's nothing they can do. Uh, in Magic, it's similar. You want to make sure that you sequence things properly because you often leave an opening for your opponent if you do it in the wrong order, or you give yourself less like information or fewer options. Uh, you know That's why like if you're going to cast a cantrip and play a removal spell on that turn, maybe play the cantrip first and if you draw if you've drawn to like a wrath of god effect hey maybe you don't want to play that removal spell that might change your line but if you're gonna you know if you're gonna play the removal spell anyways you you know you might as well play the cantrip to find out more information maybe you decide that you want to target something else maybe you draw a better more efficient removal spell to play uh on the other hand like if your opponent you know, you could want to do it the other way around if your opponent, like, might have a counter spell, in which case you play the removal spell first, you find the information you get is, that's more important is whether or not they have a counter spell, because then your cantrip, you know whether you want to find another removal spell or not. Uh, and things like that, like, you know, understanding the basic building blocks of magic, which is, you know, sequencing is really important, combat's really important, uh, you know, maximizing use of your mana, uh, maximizing using your cards like tempo all, all these things are like concepts that are going to be useful throughout magic like as it goes on and on you know the different varieties like i think card advantage used to be more important and now like tempo and and mana usage is more important but if you understand those concepts you can still move with the flow and as magic evolves you're still gonna be able to keep up with what, what's now important because you understand how to identify what's important and then how to you know maximize your your equity in a match basically from making the right sequencing from using your mana efficiently from understanding the tempo and flow of a game from understanding you know how to get the maximum card value out of your cards and so on and so if you work on those things you work on understanding magic you know rather than understanding matchups or decks it just is going to be flexible going forward, and then you won't have to necessarily put as much work into understanding the, the specific deck because you'll have this baseline. You know, if if aggro decks, for example, are often very combat centric, you need to figure out like your opponent has two four fours and you have four two twos. Do you attack? Well, you know, it depends what your opponent's life total is. If they're at four, it seems pretty clear that you attack, right? What happens if they're at, at seven life? Well, you probably should be attacking anyways because then you can draw a lightning bolt and kill them. What if they're at 10 life? Now it starts to get interesting. You have to figure out how am I going to actually win this game? You know, if you have a card like Experimental Frenzy, let's say, that you can snowball out of control later, you actually want to prolong the game to get to the point where you can do that. However, if you don't have that, then you probably do want to attack and hope to draw two burn spells before they can finally kill you. So, a lot of lot of things and if you understand the fundamentals if you understand the basic building blocks of magic if you your magic knowledge of the game is very strong then it'll always help you out so i, I think i think john i think john would be interested to know and i would be actually like how let's say like last night he was grinding he tried he tried to grind mono blue tempo from from diamond to mythic i think ultimately failed but should he be thinking, like, how would you think he would be best, uh, what's his best plan to actively improve? Would he have to think of these concepts while he's playing, after he's playing? Like how, how, how 
that. He would want. I mean, like, ideally both. But the thing is, Magic is a very mentally taxing game. It's hard to think about more than just the game you're playing at the time. Right. Uh, so one good thing is certainly like keeping your replays, ha or having someone watch you play. Someone you know, even you know, watching afterwards, watching during. They don't have to necessarily be commenting, but it's having some kind of feedback is important. And I think we don't have that enough in Magic, so that a lot of people lose a game and think, oh, I just got unlucky, I got flooded, whatever. But whereas, when you have that feedback, someone can be like, actually, you could have done this differently, you know? Like, I saw someone post something about, oh, they got, they, they drew all the cards of their, of their like, second color in their limited deck and none of the lands for it. But then I look at their mana base, and they're playing 10 and 7 of their second source, and they should just be playing 9 and 8. And so maybe they probably, they still get screwed the same way, but you want to make the plays that give you the highest chance of that not happening. And if you play 9 and 8, it's less likely that's going to happen compared to if you play 10 and 7. And uh, just some things like that can be subtle. I think one big thing for building fundamentals is playing limited. Especially corset limited is hugely a, fund a format of fundamentals. There's nothing too fancy and flashy going on. It's a lot of, you know, figuring out tempo and card advantage and combat and sequencing because the cards are all kind of vanilla, right? Uh, if everybody just has grizzly bears and giant growths and giant spiders and stuff, like, you know, there's, there's nothing much to, like, know other than the fundamentals, really, and whoever sequences and attacks the best and so on. You know, in that type of format, it might be that you you want to you want to mulligan so that your opponent decks out first. You know, <laughs> who knows? Uh, but there's there's like a lot that you can learn from just relatively simple formats, and I think limited is in general pretty good at teaching the fundamentals. And of course, at limited, because the cards are kind of so simple that you get into these board states where you have to figure out how to attack and block and where to use your removal spells, you know, do you conserve them, how, how important is your life total, how important is being able to answer their big threat later on, etc. So, that's what I would, I would recommend, uh, but if you're, you know, if you're grinding constructed, there's things you should, you should be learning too, like, especially one of the big fundamentals is sideboarding, and, you know, like John mentioning, like, going a little bit bigger, that's off, that's sometimes what you want to do, especially after sideboarding, realizing that everybody becomes, tends to have more reactive cards. Everybody becomes better at reacting to what their opponent's doing because they get to bring in this precise tools for that matchup. Uh, where, you know, in game one, somebody might have Mortify in their deck, but post-board, they might have Demystify if you're just an enchantment deck. And that's obviously, you know, more efficient and more reactive in some ways uh, is what their, their deck's going to become because they probably don't cut Mortify. And understanding that, understanding how the games are going to play out differently, it's a pretty valuable skill you can learn too. So I, I was actually checking his stream on and off. It was it was late at night after after a good afternoon of Esports Central League of Legends. Uh, I, I tuned in a bit to, to John John's stream, and he had questions that I do think apply to not the specific format. Like he was playing Mono Blue against, uh, I believe it was Blue Green Nexus, and. Uh, in, in game two or three post cyborg he mentioned that he may have cyborged out too many threats and we had talked about this where now I'm watching him and all he had are a lot of counter spells and two merfolk like 
uh, the only creatures I saw, Merfolk Trickster, two of them, and and that was it. And he's like, maybe maybe I sideboarded too many threats. So that's something we mentioned before that some people definitely do that. They dilute their deck too much, oh, and like, that's something. I think to be it constructed on. a huge huge mistake a lot a lot of people make, especially when when they don't have a sideboard guide and they're kind of flying blind, is that they do make the mistake of ruining their deck post sideboard and becoming way too way 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 too reactive when they should realize that they need to be the proactive deck a lot of the time uh, like you know a card like spell pierce for example in mono blue aggro right it's a card that is great in game ones because you protect your your threat with a curious obsession on it and they have to answer that card quickly right right because if they don't answer quickly you snowball out of control by drawing so many cards so that you, the spell pierce is valuable but if you cut enough of your threats that you don't have an early obsession going suddenly they have the ability to wait and your spell pierce becomes dead as the game goes on you know your card like that becomes worse and worse so you you have to realize that you your role is to be the early game player you have to be making be the playmaker in the early stage of the game because when the game goes too long your cards become less valuable like that uh Similarly, your deck is very good at functioning on a low amount of lands, and as the game goes on, even with a low land count, you're going to start to flood out because, you know, that's just how magic works. You know, when you draw half your deck, it doesn't matter that you have 15 lands, you're still drawing like 7 or 8 lands or something on average. Uh, and a 15 land deck doesn't really want more than 2 lands ever, right? So, whereas the control deck that plays like 26 lands, they'll probably have, they'll have drawn like 13 lands, but they can actually use them because they're built in a way that their deck scales better as they get more and more mana uh and so that's a disadvantage for you too not to mention you know the spell pierce problem for example so if you board out too many threats for more answers even if they're hard counter spells your other cards just end up lining up poorly after you trade one for one with your your counter spells which is why like if you have powerful card draw effects that can pull ahead that can help somewhat fix that problem uh if you have cards that you board in that scale better as the game goes on you know so that when you have seven or eight lands they're still a very useful card versus let's say like a siren storm tamer is not too scary when there's eight lands in play or something right it's just a one-on-one flyer people can easily outclass that for a relatively s- small amount of mana three or four mana easily outclasses that so as the monobu player you have to be careful not to become too reactive now if your opponent this deck is all about like doing their own proactive thing like nexus deck in game one tends to be like full to interaction relatively hard like if, if you have a few counter spells to counter their key pieces their the rest of their deck kind of doesn't really do anything by itself so there you don't actually need as many threats you do want to have more interaction um however the nexus deck because it understands that it functions like that. If you look at all the sideboards, it has a huge number of creatures and threats in the sideboard, like Biogenic Ooze, for example, so that, like, if it sticks one threat, it it can it can dominate, you know, its threat can trump your threat. So you do have to be careful of that plan there, and you have to have a way to deal with that. So it's very important to not... When you're... A, a proactive deck that you know is strong because it has this proactive game plan that other people have to play around you don't want to dilute that too much by adding a bunch of answers uh because you're just not as good at being the answer deck as, as your opponent's deck is mm-hmm, so. right right so so i've that's something that that you have to judge from from 
format to format something that you can work on. Another thing that I think that also transcends from format to format is the concept of when your deck has counter spells is what to counter, um, what matters, like do you let some resolve, especially if I guess your deck has limited amount of counter spells. So I think he was playing, again, like the Blue Green Nexus, and they were playing certain spells like Search for Scanta. Like they're all powerful cards, and it's like he only has a certain amount of, well, he had a lot more because he probably over sideboarded, but Wizards Retort, Spell Pierce Negate, he had all of them. <laughs> so I yeah. guess it's a sign he over sideboarded, but, but having all of those, it's like, he was down to only two or one of them at one point. It's like, does he counter Surge? Does he counter Narset? Does he just save them for uh, Wilderness Reclamation? And I, I think that was interesting if he, like, records all of these and goes back to these key points. Like, But it, it's also hard to really tell, even if you're analyzing, like, eh, should I have countered Narset? Because Narset does get them a card that might be a card that is important to counter anyway, so maybe you should counter Narset uh, beforehand? Like, yeah, or, it's, yeah, it's pretty interesting. I mean, I think one big concept of Magic that we haven't talked that much about is trying to build your deck and make plays as well so that you make your opponent's cards line up poorly or become, you know, as dead as possible because then you get virtual card advantage from that. You know, for example, a card like Planeswalkers are a really easy example of that. They're incredibly powerful cards. But if your board presence is so much ahead of your opponent that you get to attack them and kill them, they you know they usually still get something out of their planeswalker, but they don't really get the the full value of having it stick around and provide value after turn after turn. If you can kill it right away, usually a planeswalker comes in and gives you a bit less than the card and mana's worth of value. Like you know that's one of the reasons to three mana Teferi is so powerful that it comes in and it gives you the card and usually the mana back because it bounces something. Uh, and so that even if it gets killed, you're still on an even footing. But if it doesn't get killed, you're stuck with this thing in play. But a lot of Planeswalkers don't function like that. Like Narset, you get you, you don't really, I think, if you're spending three mana to just look at your top four and put a spell in your hand, you're not really getting your full value out of it, right? Uh, so that you're getting a lot of value from the, getting to the second activation and the static ability is where Narset really shines. And... So if you can kill an R set and just get them find one card, it's probably worth not countering it. Uh, you know, similarly, like if your opponent's bringing in a bunch of Cry of the Carnariums, you know, you want to if you can make your deck have as few threats that die to it as possible, right? Like you were talking about right. having three threes in mono red, like crappy three threes instead of like you know Legion War Boss. Because I thought Cries were too were too present at the time yeah Yeah, and they were too effective of getting what your strategy was doing like you know similarly like if you're the mono blue deck and you, your opponent's gonna have four cry after sideboard okay you're a little different because you have counter spells you can fight on that axis but also you just generally want to play in a way that you you put one threat on the board at a time so if they cry it answers the one thing rather than being a two for one um and you know positioning like that especially after board is really important when they have cards like that that are just are very good answers and you can play around them like also if you're playing gruel or something and you know you don't, you don't need to put out more than one uh charging monster sore or whatever uh because uh, if they have kaya's wrath right just one is enough just if if they don't kill it you just attack again if they take five just pass the turn don't play another threat and then they're, they're going to be forced to play the kaya's wrath then you play your other threat and uh 
obviously there's always a balance, right? In Magic, there's rarely a hard and fast rule, which is one of the, the beauties of the game. Otherwise, you know, you could just make a program that could play it instead of, you know, I wouldn't have a job. But right. I think that if you can play in a way and position in a way that some of your opponent's cards are dead or just at least not that valuable, it's really, really, really good. Like these Esper control decks that were creatureless, that were boarding in Thief of Sanity. It's pretty powerful because if your opponent has removal spells in their hand, then you just trade a removal spell for a Thief of Sanity. That's not that bad. If they don't have a removal spell and you have a Thief of Sanity, it goes wild and it takes right, over the game. Right. Yeah, it takes it. And if they do have a removal spell and you don't draw a Thief of Sanity, well, you're up a card. They have a dead card in their hand. And this gets even magnified more with the cards like Thought Erasure, where you get to see their hand. And if they if you they have a removal spell and you have Thief in your hand, you take the removal spell. But if you don't have Thief and they have a removal spell, you take their other thing and you just fight on that axis. You figure out what axis you know you can fight on. Like if their hand has a bunch of Mortifies in it, well, you just don't play anything that can get Mortified. You take their other card, and you you know like if their hand is three counter spells and one Search for Escanta, right? You take the Search for Escanta and you you fight them on like card advantage by like playing Chemister's Insights or playing a spell that they want to counter on their end step or sneaking something cheap in, whatever, right? If their hand's one counter spell and three Search for Escantas, well, it's pretty obvious you're not going to fight the Search for Escanta avenue, you're going to fight the counter spell avenue. And, you know, you, you can figure from... That's why cards like Thought Erasure or Thoughtseize are so powerful because you can find wherever they're weak and wherever they're strong and try and make the game about the area that they're right, weak right, in. Right, 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 yeah, I love that. Yeah. So, if you can position yourself like that, I think that's that's hugely valuable. And uh, in terms of like counter counterspelling things, I think Magic used to used to be kind of different. That like you wouldn't ever counter anything unless you would specifically lose you the game. Like there's a famous Pro Tour Finals where Nasif and, and LSV are playing, and LSV has like under his Windbrisk Kite sort of or this card Head Games, which is basically like your opponent discards their, like, shuffle their opponent's hand in their deck and you choose that many cards from their deck and put it into their hand. So it's kind of like they discard their hand because you just give them all lands, right? Right. Um, and he wants to, like, resolve that, but he knows, like, Nasif has Cryptic Command and he keeps playing, like, these threats that I think huge, like, 99% of people would just counter with their Cryptic Command right away. But Nasif just, like, thinks, he's like, this card, this Johnny or whatever is really annoying, but, like, I can still beat it. I'm, it's like a lot harder for me to win the game, but I'm still winning, so I won't counter it. And the game continues with this happening more and more, and eventually Nassif is just slightly enough ahead. Luis finally pops the head games, Nassif has his cryptic command, and he goes on to win. And, like, you know, a huge amount of people would have lost in Nassif's spot there. You know, it's a uh, it's pretty, pretty cool game to watch. And, like, that's how playing counter spells back in the day would certainly work. Now, the way threats are, threats are so much more impactful than they used to be. And it feels like, in, especially in like standard, that any resolved threat usually will run away with the game. Now, there still are a lot of cards where that's not the case. Like, you know, Llanowar Elves, or they play, or, you know, in, Invocation Druid is an interesting one that, like, is a threat because it becomes a 3-5 that taps for 3. Like, do you fight that? You know, it's still pretty annoying, but if you have a counterspell, you know, is that what you want to counter? Like, you have to consider that, you know, Hydroid Crisis, for example, is something you can't, you can counter the spell, but not the card drawing. So if your opponent has more mana, 
they get more cards out of it. Yeah. You know, but on the other hand, like Nissa, that's something you usually need to counter. But sometimes, you know, you can kill their land and then you have your own Nissa or whatever that can fight theirs, what what have you, and you actually do want to keep the counter spell up. So I think in general and in, in standard, it, it feels like the cards are so powerful that you usually want to fire off your, your counters um, just because the tempo is way more important than it used to be versus card advantage. But again, you have to you have to figure out in the moment you, and you have to lose kind of the golden rule, of, one of the golden rules of magic of figuring out what is important and where you should be focusing your fight, you know? Figuring out your opponent's weak spot, which also entails figuring out their strong spot and don't fight over things they're strong in. For example, you know your opponent's deck has a ton of card card draw, like the Nexus deck back in the, before like Tamiya would have a ton of Chemistry's Insights, right? And as Mono Blue, I would never counter Chemistry's Insight. Just go ahead. Keep keep because you can't you can't stop them from drawing cards. They're gonna keep be able to do that with Search for Scanta, with Chemistry's Insight, etc. What I wanted to fight on was their mana. I wanted to counter either Nexa Fate because that's a seven mana investment, or Wilderness Reclamation because that represented a huge amount of mana and going forward. And also because cards like Spell Pierce became worse when they had more mana. So if I didn't fight their mana, my cards became less effective as well. Where and huge amount numbers of games, I would just win because my opponent, you know, has has all, all the cards in the world. They they're almost at like eight cards in hand or whatever. But I just don't care. I just care about the things that affect the board, and the and the, the things that cause them to have more mana would incidentally allow them to play more things that would affect the board. I think I'm thinking about the the Medina situation. I guess it's hard for me to give advice in that spot where you only have like a Merfolk trickster, and it's like. I think you're way behind whether you, you counter or not. Your, your your pressure is so small that, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, in those spots, you often want to keep the pressure on their life total, so countering their Planeswalker is valuable because, you know, you're going to eventually run out of things to stop what they're doing, so you need to, them to die before that happens. So it was it was also interesting in that spot because he actually he had the, the two tricksters to kill um, the Narset, but he also had one of them with... Um, Obsession? Obsession. Uh, maybe he didn't have two trickster. Maybe he had only one with Obsession. And I thought, like, he could counter Narset. So instead of killing it with the trickster, he could attack him, pressure their life total, and draw a card. So lots of decisions there. Yeah, I mean, um, there. that sounds like, to me, it pushes it over the top, that you definitely want to counter the Narset there. Because, like, all you're, you're getting a card out of it, right? The fact that your trickster is going to connect them again with them again, which is one of the things with the mono blue deck, that you kind of want to keep that rolling, you know? That they keep on taking damage, you keep on drawing extra cards, and even if you have to like spend two spell pierces to counter a spell, you make up for it by the fact that you're drawing more cards every turn, and eventually they die before they can finally break through your your lock. Sometimes also they just run out of spells too. So, so to finish up on this, I, I think uh, you know you talk about, and I agree with this, that it's mentally taxing enough to to play a game optimally and while streaming, obviously, and he should. He should definitely record his matches and, and watch them. But obviously, the que the curious question comes because you got to this level where game re replays didn't exist. So, like, what did you do? Were you like replaying games in your mind? Well, a lot of it is interacting with other humans, right? Like, I don't think anybody became a great magic player by themselves. Right. Like, I remember back in my chess days, for example, you know, everybody at my level pretty much would have a chess teacher. 
except for like one guy I know he, he he would just play against the computer and he got good but eventually he needed to get a chess teacher anyways you know after a certain point like you just you, you couldn't necessarily learn just from jamming a bunch of games it's like I remember I think it was John Finkel who, took, who said to me that like no there's no great players are made from MTGO there's a lot of good magic players made from MTGO you know you you get you can get become good but you can't become great without actually learning from other like great players and I mean for me I like played online a bunch and then I felt like I was stagnating and actually I started to like level up a bit more when I when I quit playing online as much and played less but with more purpose kind of and with other people and you really have to be self-reflective like for me I, a lot of it is I could just I could replay games in my head a lot and you know it's maybe a bit of a fault as well because some, some I still remember some games where I made a mistake you know that happened like 15 years ago almost or whatever you know 12 years ago I can I'm still haunted by some of them but <laughs> it does it does it does help me become better like uh, trust me the, those, that, that game from 12 years ago that I still remember and have nightmares about I'm not going to make that mistake ever again <laughs> you know uh, but it's it's also tough and I think a lot of a lot of one of the things that I used to get really good was even though they didn't have great coverage back in the day I would just watch every Pro Tour Top 8 I watched every Pro Tour Top 8 and like a friend of mine Jacob Wilson would do that too I know he, he got a lot better from doing that and from watching Magic I think he would he watched like I think every Magic event for some period of time he would watch all the SEGs all the GPs all the coverage and like obviously that's an absurd amount to watch that's a huge investment but I think like like PTs or MC top 8s or something you can learn a lot I mean I remember one top 8 that I learned a lot from I thought was um PT Los Angeles 2005 it was like extended I think Antoine Royal won but in the top 8 there were just so many interesting lessons that I, I felt I learned uh and there's some flashy stuff, you know, but it's just you you learn from these players who are better than you. That's that's your best resource, you know. At some point, it becomes hard because there aren't that many players who are better than you. Right. You have to learn from players who are your level, and they there's some things that they are better than you at, right? If there's like, you know, if you view yourself as a D and D character, everybody has you know their various stats like strength, charisma, dexterity, wisdom, intelligence, whatever, you know, and constitution. I had to finish it out. But in magic, I think everybody in terms of their skills as a magic player has similar stats. Obviously, they're different, but there's different areas where people are strong. And you can learn from people who are, you know, let's say have a high strength score and you you're that's your weak weakness whereas you're good at wisdom and they're not, right? And you can teach them that so you can help each other. Yeah, that's and I think it's really valuable to team up with people who have different skill sets from you. From 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 episode one, that's why like you know, there's no secret on the show. Uh, I, I regard you really highly as a player, and it was it was great. It was like an interesting to hear you like on episode one of this show to I, I like sort of I guess admit that at one point Sigris was way better than you at limited and had something to teach you to up your limited game. So he's still better than I am at limited. He, he still is. 
I just think that I've closed the gap a bit. And I think even when it comes to limited, I've taught him something too. I think that's like the beauty when, you know, our, we've had a, a very valuable partnership, I think. And, you know, both of us have had been consistently doing well and better than we used to, you know, since we've been testing together. And it's not just him, you know, there's other people I've been working with and he's been working with, you know, we've, and a lot of people like that, like someone like Sam Pardee, you know, I learned a lot about deck selection from him because he would, you know, he was not as technically proficient, especially when I started working with him. He's gotten way better now. But back then he was, you know, there's a reason that he went from, let's say, a gold player to like being a platinum player now is that he's gotten a lot better at the technical aspects of the game. But he was always very good at identifying what decks are, are strong for a given tournament and figuring out what people are going to play. And I learned a lot from him from that. And I think... I make a lot better deck choices than I used to. And, you know, th that's a significant edge in, you know, in many ways, like the the areas where I think I'm strong, which is like technical play, the edges that I like feel are a huge edge is like a 1% gain there. But if you pick the right deck for a tournament, it's an easy 5 or 10% edge. And that that's huge, you know, and it's a lot, in some ways, it's a lot less effort to for me to gain percentages in that way than in the areas that I'm already strong. So figuring out where you're weak and working on that is is hugely valuable. And you want to find people who are good at what you're weak at and work with them. Ideally, the areas you're strong, you have something to give them too. You know, you don't want to be a one-way street because people always say, find someone who's better than you at magic and learn from them. Well, the thing is, people who are better than you at magic, do you know how they got to be that good? It's because they learned from people who are better than them. And they want to keep learning from people better than them. So why would they hang out and, and play with you unless you know but, but frankly that's that's what it is like you know when I was starting out on the PT I didn't just get invited to these super teams right why why would someone on a super team why would PV or whatever want to work with me you know there's no there's, there's no reason it doesn't think that there's anything that I have to bring a value right but I, I brought to other people who were around my level we could all help each other and then our team all got good enough from helping each other then suddenly we're at the level where now we get invited to these super teams we start testing with these people and we can i can learn something from paulo and i think he's learned something from me you know and it's uh it's beneficial in that way so, so I was, that's what i definitely recommend i was talking like jay rich listened to almost justin richardson local uh i mean he's no longer active but at one point, uh, a promising young, play, talented yeah, a, player, a former uh, <laughs> team member of, of Team Canada for the World Magic Cup, a multi, uh, regional former regional champion, and, and he's listened to to all our episodes. And he had mentioned he listened to our bit about when you said uh, growing the community around them, and he, and he felt like he regrets that a bit that he didn't he didn't do do that to uh, like make others improve so he could improve. And uh, a rising tide lifts all boats. I'm gonna pat myself on the back here. I, I really feel like I you're did. You're not that. doing it. Can you? Can you? Can you physically <laughs> no, do it as well? No. No. I think I really did that for uh, for check swing, which is why like I when... think you did that for all of Canadian Magic. I think that's okay, you know yeah, like right. you often say that you you know everybody gives you so much credit for this stuff, but that's kind of what you did because even if you didn't specifically give everybody the magic tools, you you gave you like connected the community so that these people, like someone like David Kaplan and I, could work together, and we were both had you know varied skill sets and we learned from each other and and that just boosted us up and we could boost up the other people too you know you 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 enable that to happen and but sorry you were saying about check swing i think i think i i've 
really wanted to build that that at the time local uh, game store community. I think I, looking back, I think I did a, a great job just because at at some point at the PTQs, you know how people talk and people are like, well, who are these check swing guys? And I mean, most, a lot of them never attain like the level that, that didn't necessarily made, made it to the PT, but it got to a point where their reputation where, you know, they, they weren't trash players. Shouts to you know Jake Mazaros, <laughs> uh, Barry Kenny, and all of them. Like they've they've had um, their level of success and what like they were way better than than before. Like than when I started playing there. So um, no, definitely. I, I even I've noticed that. Like I don't hang out in the local community that much anymore because the way the tournament structures exist now, it's just there's no incentive for me to to do that. But back when I did and I played PTQs and like you know, cash tournaments and stuff. Like, definitely at first, you know, the check swing players would come and would be thought of as easy pickings, as, as it were. But, you know, it got to the point where, hey, you, you, there would always be at least a check one check swing person in the top yeah. eight, you know? <laughs> and I, I, don't, I don't get to see it behind the scenes. I didn't know that that's, you know, you raising up everybody and having... But it doesn't surprise me because you're, that's what you're good at. You're good at helping everybody you're good at you know networking this is i think when people talk about networking magic this is where it's really valuable because you know if you're if you're just working by yourself you you limit how much better you can be it's the reason why like you look at human knowledge in general and with the internet it's just exploded right we just you, the, the fact that like i can collaborate with someone who who lives in china or whatever right and, yeah, and, and just communicate with them right away and can post something and they're like hey that triggers like your 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 proof on this topic in physics or whatever i've now realized that like <laughs> i can use that in my work and and you know human knowledge just grows and grows like whereas, whereas if we're all just still living in caves writing on the walls you know like even just like it's not just science it's art too right you look at all the great artists and they're influenced by the people in the past you know in music everything and you know is you know you can look, you look at like two bands or whatever is is one band better than the other or either you know they're building on what the other person has done and you know, I think magic is is like that and we're still in such early days of magic that like I really wonder if magic let's say magic exists in in 50 years from now like and we look back now on our understanding of it I don't know, you know, if we'll we'll laugh and see, oh, we didn't understand things so much. Because if you look at the magic understanding from, like, back in the early 90s, you know, the idea of, like, a mana curve, right? Think of much of a mind-blowing thing that is. I think for, for, <laughs> yeah, yeah. for like, you know, I, I started way after that. And, you know, I'm sure some of our listeners have started even, even later. And it's like, you know... What? what? Mana, the idea of a mana curve is just so ingrained into into what we do, into, into how magic's played now. But you know, it used to be, it wouldn't be that. Like people would play like you know, I looked at some of these decks and they're playing like eighteen lands and like you know, their deck is just like all four drops or whatever, like giant spider MVP, right? In constructed, and like some someone just like started playing one ones for one and two twos for two and like they just slaughtered everyone. I think maybe it was David Price or whatever. I'm, you know. And you look at these creatures and they're embarrassing. Literally, the, this deck had like a one-one for one with a drawback that, like, if you had like a, a dwarf or whatever, you had to sacrifice it. And it had a two-two for two that can't block. That's a dwarf. You know, that's how bad the creatures were. But still, they just cost so little mana that you could just run people over. And 
that's like, you know, the the, the knowledge of, of magic just increases so much, and that's from people working together. And there's a reason that, like, the internet age of magic is so different from before when people would show up to a, a pro tour and they'd be playing, like, Academy, and other people would be going, like, you know, wild dogs or whatever, you know, on turn one. <laughs> Nowadays, like, you know, we got Bridge from Below got banned this week, right? Imagine in the pre-internet days, there just would be like two teams showing up to the Pro Tour with with Hogak Bridge or whatever, and everybody else would be like, what the hell is this? And they just get slaughtered because, you know, realistically, their modern decks would still, wouldn't be, even be Tron, right? Like, they would just be, you know, people playing their old standard decks. So... I do think it, yeah, what you said, I, I think it's interesting in other industries too, just like uh, basketball, how they, it took like only until recently to figure out the three-pointers. Three pointers, yeah. Yeah, that, that amazes me. That it's not never too late, that, there's, that there is something to be solved still, even in, in this area. Even basketball, something that's been played for so long and that right. you, and you just seems, have to calculate what percentages that it was more efficient they could have done that 20 years I ago I know I know it seems so obvious right like look you know you get two points for getting a, 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 a normal basket you get three points for three pointer like how much better how much worse your odds have to be for it still to be worth taking the three pointer you know it's not that hard right <laughs> the math is very simple two versus three you know uh, so like and obviously you're not 100% to get your three your two pointer in anyways so you used to do that math and figure hey it's, it's, it's better EV but I mean, I see people complaining about, like, football and how, like, people, you know, going for it or not going for it. You know, right. I'm not a football expert by any means. I have no idea what I'm talking about. But I know that people complain about this one thing and right. that, like, you know, the EV of it or whatever is higher. But people don't do it. And it's just because, like, the general public doesn't understand that. And so you get, like, flamed for it. And often, you know, often the perception of being doing the right thing versus actually doing the right thing is holds things back and that's like I talked before about trusting yourself when it comes to your magic decisions and I think a lot of that is like a lot of people trust themselves when they shouldn't right if if they're doing something just to be different for the for that purpose of being different of like you know feeling feeling superior or whatever then that's that's bad but if you're doing something different because you truly believe that that is the correct thing to do that that's the right play that you're getting an edge doing that then you should do it. You should trust yourself there. And it's even if it, other people think you're an idiot, I think, you know, fear of looking like an idiot is a huge motivator. Uh, and it was a motivator for me at one point. Like, there's a couple times where I sh should have played the deck that makes me maybe look like an idiot. And I didn't. And I instead looked like a, a smart person as I, as I had a very average performance in the tournament. And another time, people literally made fun of the deck I played at the Pro Tour or whatever. And... Hey, guess what? You know, I won 11-5. You know, won 70% of my matches at the deck everybody was laughing at me for. And then, like, we talk about it nowadays, and people are like, Hey, yeah, actually, that might have just been the best deck for the tournament. How messed up is that? It's like, yeah, you know, like, but, like everybody's laughing. It's like, oh, how can you be playing this card or whatever? It's ridiculous. I'm like, well, in the context, it's this and that. I'm like, okay, I guess, I guess. You know, like, even miracles people still make fun of me for. And it's like, sure, you know, our team did not have a high win rate with that deck. But our <laughs> team also, like, was a team that would not have a high win rate with any deck at the Pro Tour level. We were, we were you know, we were below, below average PT players for the most part. Right. And I'm not saying Miracle's deck was like a 70% win rate deck, but it wasn't a 40% win rate deck if you're playing it right, you know. I think it was, like, it wasn't the best deck in the tournament, but 
I think it was actually a reasonable deck despite all its flaws because the decks in that form were just so bad in general that it was, you know, the lesser evil in some ways. But you have to you have to at some point realize you have to have enough confidence in what you're doing and you get that from, you know, having had success but also just if you actually understand magic, if you understand what's going on, you have people who you can talk to, and if you can explain why you think, what you, why you believe what you believe, and other people think that your explanation makes sense, then you should be doing it. Yeah, I, I think it's just like like magic, like the football example. The thing usually people advocate, like the map says, you should aggressively go on like fourth and one. It's just that the downside is, is if you whiff the opponent gets the ball and you look like a complete fool and I guess it's the same thing for, for Magic you look like a complete idiot so let's take a high level break here and, and talk some nonsense something I forgot to, to mention about uh, coffee uh, while plugging coffee.com and stuff like that and, and how, how good Twitter is is that it took me a while to realize and it's not related to, to any strategy content but maybe social media strategy it took me a while I mean, that's to, what that's your expertise right yeah but it did take me a while to realize that people want to consume their content uh natively like where, where they are on the app they don't want to be redirected to, to somewhere else and that's why i think it's a it's a challenge like i told i think i may have mentioned it to you but i know it's a challenge for for any podcast to really um promote themselves on twitter because they're gonna look at their twitter stream or their facebook stream usually a link to subscribe to the podcast and it's like all these steps they're not gonna do it in that spot and i feel um your only hope like me is like like the the time that people do it is when they're asking like what are the top podcasts or people are listening to in magic etc that's when people are actively or or when it comes up when they're about to leave the home and they need something to listen to and it, it triggers in their mind that that okay maybe i should just download it for for the for the way home so i think it's a challenge i've learned that from just over the years when i'm posting like let's say youtube content but on somewhere else that you can't you have to go to youtube and that's less successful than let's say on facebook if you had a facebook live video or a video that you've uploaded specifically on facebook that's going to increase the chances that people are going to check it out. So okay, I, yeah, like this is an area where I really have no idea what I'm doing. I mean, you know, I trust you. Someone like Doug Potter also obviously knows what they're doing, uh, but uh, it's it's like a it, it, it that makes sense to me. For for me, I like the the podcast. M my goal is you know to have a good time chatting with you, and if we can monetize it enough that you keep buying me coffees and free dinners great but <laughs> ideally you know i am I'm, I'm going more for quality versus quantity i think if we can have people listening and, and and somebody actually can up their game from that you know if they spread around to other people who can who can get help too that's great but having the biggest most popular podcast around having it pay all my bills that's not that's not i mean that would be nice that'd but, be sweet but that's not that's not where i think our i think this is uh you know a privileged podcast for the, for, for the few. <laughs> you, you, you listen to this podcast while drinking your tea and you're having your pinky extended, you know? Uh, this is a, a Cabernet Sauvignon of, of, of podcasts. You know? <laughs> it, it took me a while, and I think I mentioned on previous shows that, that you know, a, lot, a lot of people made fun of me for... For Strike? For, for, Google, <laughs> for being so high on Google+, Plus, but um, 
a lot of times like you just want to be there before everyone else like twitter i was i was one of the first people in magic to actively use twitter and that now like everyone's on it and that's why i'm not being made fun of for twitter but google plus died because google didn't do a good job with it and um i also got made fun of and i really this was a long time ago because i thought there was benefit in linking everyone to one specific spot to have like all um like if they wanted to know anything about me like what's the latest on kyt that they know that there's one spot to go to for that but i like think Gleamax? like what Gleamax? No. <laughs> <laughs> but now i feel like that's countered by the benefit like i said of people just wanting especially on their phone to stay in the app that they're in if they're reading tweets they want to like just just be there read the next tweet whatever right or or they want to read a quick something and go back to their twitter app so so I don't know, this might be some strategy for, for some content producers out there that you actually want. That's why for our podcast sometimes, or for First Strike, I'd rather do clips and upload those clips directly to Twitter so that they can experience our podcast on their Twitter stream. And if they feel like subscribing, then they can take that extra step later on. But if if you just give a link, like the odds that they have, they're going to click to leave Twitter to go somewhere else to maybe check out a podcast is, is just very unlikely. Yeah, so you're you're saying you're gonna make a, a, a clip stream of, of this podcast with like the highlight clips. And you're gonna post it on on Twitter to get all the all the new people come in. No, if, if you if you post one of me giving you a really good beat, I'll even retweet it. <laughs> I mean, Kyle Duncan loves that, which is why he he like, I guess he's behind on episodes. Yeah, he he. He, he made, recently made a comment about a really early episode where you talked about your pedigree. I don't think it was that early. It was actually two episodes ago, I think. Oh, I think it was more than that. Two or three max. Well, or... I, think, I think it's been a while since you learned not to make comments like that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no. And uh, uh, I think I think it was three. No, it was three. It, it was recent. It was me talking about how I know that. I don't know. I have a strong. It was, I think it was related to me wanting people to know that I'm good. Um, yeah, well, I mean, it. I think it's really nice that, like, everybody's always known you as Captain Canada and, like, the content producer guy who, like, was the glue behind the... And, but now you have this big, illustrious tournament title of Arena Super Cup champion. <laughs> so, like, people can know that you're actually... And you finished top 100... 1,000 Mythic or whatever. I was 50. 50? At one point. Yeah, but you finished 150, Yeah, right, right. right. 100 and whatever. 150-something. Uh, yeah, I think most of our experienced... Uh, friends know that you're trolling me <laughs> oh yeah i am but the thing is a lot of, again reality and perception are not are like not that different often because if if you say that winning the arena super cup is a big deal a lot of people don't actually know whether it is or not and just the fact that you have that title gives some legitimacy to your opinions and the fact that you're 150th mythic or gives some legitimacy to your opinions to people who you know, aren't actually at the top level and know, like, you know, the differences between things, like what percentage of people actually understand the difference between a GP top 8 and a PT top 8 you know, we th we're very entrenched in this competitive culture, but for a lot of Magic players, both are just like so far beyond where they are that they're equivalent, you know just like someone being a grandmaster at chess or being the world champion at chess they're both just so far away from how good we are or whatever right and okay i think i wanted to comment on this because it reminds me of something when final nub messages me how you know there's there's like these 
we have on guests or people he feels are MTGO legends or, or great players, but I know that the top player, like, they're not viewed, maybe not, I don't know, you or, or, or the elite level in, in live play, I feel like there is a gap between the top modal players and the top live players. Um, even like Tiago Saperito, Balov Zero or Balovo. Yeah, Balovo. One of the top grinders of all time in, in MTGO. I don't think he's regarded. He's an MTGO legend. And I've talked to him. I've messaged him. He's written articles for ManageDeprived.com that I, I think I had to really work hard because English was not his first language, and it was far worse then than it was now. Wow, but, I didn't know that he wrote articles for ManageDeprived.com. But, yeah, he did. He contributed some articles, and I, I think that... Um, Do you know that I contributed some articles for ManageDeprived.com? <laughs> if, if, if you all want to want to find a, a great article, you can find my... Uh, my primer for how to play the Miracles deck. I know a lot of people found that one very amusing. It's oh yeah, that one's good. Um, but just to say that, like he's not viewed as in the elite. Like he he he's not in the MPL, right? No. And he's not um, regarded in the elite tiers by any of his peers. So so there is a gap there. Uh, but to like you said to the general population, like the best moto player or whatever, a top five moto player that can give a lot of credibility to someone, but. And they deserve that credibility. It's just that it's not the same to, to a casual viewer. It might not. They might view it in the, the same sphere as a top five live player. When in reality, top five live player is probably significantly better than the top five. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the top MTGO players like make the transition to live, and they're often very successful. Though usually after a while, um, someone like you know Reed Duke, Brad Nelson. Those are both names that come from from Magic Online, right? Reader Rabbit, I think, and and, and just a freak. Is Peter Mueller, uh, uh, Martin Mueller, mostly known for being online? I think I don't know. I don't think so, but like, um, I guess you know, uh, Raptor, right? Josh oh, Rabbit, right, right, yeah. Was also known as a online grinder for a while. So, and then like more recently, uh, Logan Nettles, Jabberwocky, right. someone who's pretty highly respected and comes from the Magic Online world, and then uh, Budakov, I think, is, you know started to to be have some have some um, ma you know translate magic online success to some success outside of it but i think that yeah there's there's there is a gap there and it, you look like even someone like reed who's now you know top top uh there were a few years where he was like you know a kind of struggling pro after being like one of the top the top mtgo players he was like you know a mid mid-tier pro so there, there's, like, even when I, I won the Pro Tour, right, and, like, back home, everybody's like, oh, Alex, you're so good, you're so much better than us, da-da-da, and, like, you know, I, a little bit, a little, it a little, did go to my head a little bit, but, you know, when you actually play with these other top players, I realize that I still have a huge gap, there's still a lot more for me to learn, and, like, basically a couple years later on the Pro Circuit is when I kind of felt that I really leveled up, and that, that I was one of the top players, Whereas even when I won the PT, I think I was like you know a mid-tier pro. I, uh, so so Medina, this relates to a question. Medina uh, messaged me and said like I find it really interesting that you care about what people think about your skill level. And I said like as a competitive player, I cared at the beginning. Then I stopped caring because I realized that 
self-validation was all I needed just because like we mentioned that it's too hard to prove yourself to everyone else they all have your different opinions and winning one single tournament in a a game with some amount of luck in it is not going to prove your skill level to, to anyone and but now it's different where I, I thought like I think we went too deep and that's why it's not clear but now I think as a content producer clout credibility is important um, even though like even though if I know myself that winning the Arena Super Cup doesn't make me a great player, but that is a great thing to have under my belt. Imagine uh, you're going to write an article for a website. Right. You know, why are people going to go and click and read your article? Well, if you can write Arena Super Cup winner, you know, if you can write about that or if you, you know, you have some pedigree that's valuable. Like that's where clout comes in. You know, we talked already about like the disparity with what people get paid. And even if, you know, the, the people who don't have as much clout write better articles than the, the pros, they, they just, there's, people don't have the same, like, feeling of that, that they ne necessarily know what they're talking about. Even if me, as someone who can judge the, the, the stuff on its own merits, I can tell which article is good and which is not. But a lot of people don't actually know. They're reading the article because they don't know. And so having a name like Ben Stark attached to a limited we're, article, we have to give Ben Stark shout-out. I was just going to bring that until, up. Until he finally listens to one of these, you know. But uh, <laughs> he, I don't think he ever will, though. But, he, like, you know, having, having that name attached just means people, like, have, you know, whether or not it's right, they have this belief that this person knows what they're talking about. And usually it's, they do know what they're talking about. Um, but I have known many times where, you know, I can see that a pro has really phoned in an article and they, you know, they basically have a deck list and they talk, like, Snapcaster Mage is very good because it flashes back your important spells. It's like, everybody knows that, come on, you know, like, they're just, they didn't, they didn't play a single game with the deck. They just, they're just, like, looking at the deck list and explain, Lightning Bolt is good because it can damage a creature, a planeswalker, or a player and finish them off. See Snapcaster Mage for more, you know, whatever. Like, right, 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 right. But and like, but the thing is, like, so having this perception of being good is is often more valuable than actually being good. Um, again, you know, talking about Ben Stark, like he gets a huge amount of monetary value from the storyline of him being the best Magic player for limited in the world. Uh, you know, he's very good. He deserves a lot of what he's gotten, but you know that storyline is been you know partly fra fabricated and and keeps getting repeated from you know <laughs> Louis started it and then Marshall continues it and then you know Ben himself obviously is not going to disagree with that even though you know he's a logical person he probably wouldn't put himself as number one limited player in the world right now. Yeah, Marshall probably says that every stream, like, he's in a feature map. One of the top limited yeah. minds in the game. Right, <laughs> right. And, and you say something loud enough and often <laughs> enough, and, and, it be, and in people's minds it becomes true. And the fact that that's the perception, you know, Ben Starr puts out a limited video, and people are going to watch it. And that's, that's worth something. So having your peers and the general public view you as someone who's very skilled at magic and knows what they're talking about has has value in terms of your bottom line like what sponsorships you get what content deals you get uh you know how many people watch your stream or, and things like that uh you know obviously your results in the tournaments aren't going to be affected again you can see ben stark's last year of tournaments but like uh <laughs> 
Uh, and I, I, I love Ben. I just, you know, I, I, so so no disrespect, Ben, ben to him, but but like he just he's just an easy example. I know you you find it hilarious whenever I mention him. So, but that's there there is the value there. Uh, also, frankly, it's hard to not care what other people think, and I you know it's something I'm working on. But again, it's it's a it's a long road, and you know you. I've been trying to recently practice some more stoicism things of like just focusing on what you can control and how you react to things yourself. You know, having other people's thoughts about you, they don't really they don't really matter in terms of, you know, your you shouldn't have them affect your happiness, but it does definitely affect your 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 bottom line as a pro. Right, right. So it's like for or even if you're like a non-pro like me. So I don't know how to describe it like I'm not affected by haters i'm not like begging for approval i just recognize that it is important yeah Uh, you're just begging for coffees that's it i'm begging (laughs) (laughs) i just recognize that it is important for i i just don't know how it's like it is i do care and i don't care at the same time type thing i I can't really make the distinguishment about what i'm trying to say Um, well i think also a lot of people who are like competitive magic players often do use competitive magic as a validation outlet, right? That like your skill and it's you know you want to feel that these all this time and effort you put into this gets you mm-hmm. get something out of it, right? Right. And obviously results is something you can get out of it, but also you know results are are fickle, but you can get you know the respect of your peers and stuff. That's that's something you can get that, that in some ways feels like it sticks around forever. Obviously. The best thing is to have your own validation of you having done a good job, knowing that you're improving and feeling good about what you're doing and just enjoying what you're doing. That's the best mindset to have approaching it. But, you know, there's there's a, a variety of reasons people do things. You know, I've already talked about how, like, the fame for magic doesn't really motivate me. And so I haven't really pursued that angle of it, which, you know ends up me getting a lower paycheck than people who have pursued that angle of it. I think, yeah, I think it it, it's not something you just say. I think you can see it in that if you did care, you would be tweeting a lot more, right? Maybe, or, yeah. I think so. I think Again, you, like my my perspective is, I try and focus on quality. I want I want my I want my level of play to be high. I want to try and play good decks. I want to play honestly and fairly, uh, and I want to improve and focus on my work. And when I put out content or tweets. I want it to be good quality. Like, I feel I sometimes have to plug my own work, whether it's like, you know, my stream. You can check that out at insanehane at twitch.com. But, uh, or, or this, you know, this podcast and stuff. But mostly I try and not spam people with stuff or just post like random things, you know, like having a sandwich day for lunch, have a look, you know. But, you know, this, it's, it doesn't. It doesn't bother me necessarily that much when other people do it. So maybe I should be doing it more. It's just, it doesn't feel natural to me to do that. And, maybe you know, maybe again in our new world, I should be focusing more on the fame and the more the influencer side and less on the athlete side. But I've always kind of been more interested in the athlete side. I, I we got I, we got derailed here from. I just went. <laughs> I have to wrap no, up my so, I, social I, we, we media masterclass. We would, we would never get derailed. I got the tricked that you had this had, time. Had prepared. You're tricking me <laughs> into talking about this stuff, but these are not I the want, topics you're looking for. I, I, <laughs> I think I mentioned that on a previous episode uh, where I think some people it would be a lot more productive 
um, if they, I think a lot of this is because they, I don't know, like I've, you know, even at my work, social media, people hear these things that, you know, you need to hashtag everything and hashtag sponsored. Usually a lot of this stuff comes from people who don't actually use the, the specific social media platforms they are on and they just hear a few buzzwords and feel like, you know, you have to do this like especially hashtags on, on specific platforms like on twitter i feel like usually they're reserved for um a, a live event or something some or that people are like think of the last time that you looked up a hashtag most people don't like they're not going to look up hashtag sandwich right like that's not the point <laughs> of the hashtag on twitter it's for you let's say you're at a gp or you want to know everything surrounding a specific event or something you can imagine people clicking on it like if i want mythic championship three which i've used or two i've, I've clicked it and look at what other people are tweeting around the event so you know yeah. usually advice is coming from people who don't who don't understand or use the platforms. Yeah, like you can look at hashtag table for two podcast, or in the case of one of your recent tweets, hashtag table for two podcast, and uh, and you can see, you know, the, the, the tweets people are having. About. Wait, I misspelled? Oh yeah, you did. <laughs> okay. Um. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, things like you can look up a GP or like if something's trending on Twitter, sometimes people will, will do that. I also sometimes do it for random jokes, you know, like, plus there's hashtag sponsored, hashtag ad, hashtag paid for by Wizards of the Coast, hashtag KYT was me lunch, you know, things like that. But there's, yeah, I mean, by the way, KYT's off the notes now. He's not even reading them. <laughs> this, this was just all off the cuff. It's not on my back. <laughs> I think people do, again, uh, Fall Fridays, a few of my listeners do this and include me and some of the shows I do as a huge long list of, of um, in a tweet, like 20 people. And I think that. I don't want to be mean and say it's like a bad tweet uh, to them publicly, but I'll say this here because you guys are listening. But those tweets aren't useful. Like they just oh yeah, I make see something people... like that and I just ignore it. Right, I ignore it. Twenty people. I'm not going to follow twenty people because you advise it. But if you advise one person on Friday and you have a description of why I should follow them, right? I'm gonna I'll, I'll consider it. You know. I think the intention is great because it's usually from people that are good fans of my show, but just. And I think the reason people, it's like a vicious cycle because when you do it, the 20 people, some of them feel really good. Thank you for it. So you do it the next week and the next week when really it does nothing to help expand the reach. Well, not, I wouldn't say nothing, but it does very little to expand the, the reach of these content producers. So the one tweet that Dave Root did, and he only has 180 Twitter followers, but he mentioned three specific podcasts with reasons why he, they're yeah, good. Yeah, I mean, he had them in the wrong order, right? Right, but. wrong order. <laughs> um, but that's why I had, like, just him versus someone with more followers and, and, and tweeting, like, 20 people. Like, you have to think about what a new, like, a non-listener would see this and... and you know why they should follow like these 20 accounts yeah, i mean it's like when we're talking about magic right you got to pick your spots you got to figure out where to fight your battles and it's the same thing here in the tweet right if you if you say like you should follow these 20 people or these are my 25 favorite podcasts or these are the 100 favorite people i i, I enjoy on twitter or these are my 700 favorite breakfast cereals people are just going to ignore that stuff and you know similarly in magic like when you're playing a game you can't you usually you know your opponent's doing something you're not going to win every front you figure out where you're going to fight, fight that angle and win that angle. 
similarly, you know, like I was saying, I think if you, if somebody posts like, hey, these t two or three people maybe, you know, three is about the max, like, are awesome. You should follow them because of this. And, like, if I'm interested in that thing, I'll follow them. Uh, or sometimes I'll click on them and read a couple of their tweets and then decide if I'm going to follow them. But if you post ten people, I'm just going to ignore your thing. It's too much work. And you're just not narrowing enough down enough for me. I, you know, I think, like... A huge amount of stu information is available on the internet, right? There's so many people tweeting, there's so many articles, and a huge, hugely valuable service is curating that stuff. Right, right. That's why people follow. That's that's what like sometimes. yeah. I mean, that's a lot of a lot of my Twitter feed is I ha I'm following people who curate stuff for me on Facebook too. Like when I open my Facebook thing, I like have people who you know I am still following on Facebook, and those are the people who post interesting content. They don't post everything. If there's somebody posts a million times, I'm going to stop following them. But if someone posts something interesting every once in a while, you know, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll check it out and I'll be like, this person always posts good stuff. I'm going to keep following them and I'll, I'll read what they have to say. And it's like, that's a valuable service to be providing, but you have to be restrictive enough, right? And there's like this funny effect that the Twitter thing is because when one of them thanks the original person, you you oh. are also in that tweet, so just like there's an avalanche of mentions related yeah. to that. Well, and, you, and you feel obligated too to, to thank them a little bit, right? Like I'm sure you do. You think no, it. I don't. No, I don't. Wow, you're what a what a dick. <laughs> I, lo I love them. This is this is it. Kawaki doesn't thank anybody. He he'll just retweet you you plugging him, without a single word of thanks. He won't even buy you a coffee. What well, the the, I think the killer <laughs> people who have been doing the best for the show again, who have minimal followers, was like the past week where people like, or Alan Wu right, rare resource for actually improving your game. Listen to the show. That's what we want to see. Yeah, that's that's Not the thing. Like you know. He's not saying like these are the, my five podcasts that I or I love or whatever five you know top three in the wrong order you know yeah yeah he's saying this this podcast is valuable I, I love it and people are like okay wow he doesn't normally talk about podcasts it must you know must be more valuable than just everything else I'll actually try it out so we really appreciate that type of thing and David Roos thing even if you know the order's wrong <laughs> but um, um, yeah so so uh, we're not gonna. No, we're gonna wrap things up uh, soon, so we'll, we'll address final nubs. He wanted to know our approach uh, to improving at limited, but I think we had with answering Medina's question, we had a lot of stuff there that applied to limited. Yeah, but we'll go more in depth on a future episode. Um, I mean, I think one thing people often when they dive into limited, they start with drafting, and drafting in many ways is like you is multiple skills at once. It's kind of like how you know wizards. Let's say with the last. Mythic Championship. They did Modern with Open Deckless and London Mulligan, and they do get, getting Open Deckless and London Mulligan. You 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 molly the you you like muddy the data, right? Because you don't know what is causing the effect. Is it the Open Deckless? Is it the London Mulligan? Is it both? And you know where similarly, like if you're doing draft, you're having to learn how to draft and how to build decks and how to play limited all at once. I think that can be a little overwhelming. I think something like Sealed actually could be better to, as a starting thing because then you focus on building the decks and like playing the games and learning how to sideboard and limit and stuff. You know, you decrease the number of things you have to worry about. Then as you get more advanced, you can move to draft, which is kind of the more, mm, okay. more you know, I think the drafting portion is a it's very different skill-wise from a lot of the other, other portions. And, and a lot of it is building up things over time you look at the best limited players they've been playing magic for a long time you know siggy is known as a, a 
a longtime player or a veteran of the game, grizzled veteran. You know? Right, right. Um, ben Stark too has just been drafting forever. <laughs> yeah, they, they they love us here at Esports Central. We're good. We're recording a podcast. Oh, yeah. No fun. I'll take that water though, please. Thank you. All right. Um, um, Esports Central. Esports Central. Um, I wanted to wrap this up, but now you're just giving like all this content. But okay, I know, I'm gonna stop I, you. I'm gonna stop you. I'm gonna limit this font, man. I'm gonna stop you. True Detective Season One. <laughs> I'm gonna stop you and finish my my social media rant or or masterclass, where I think some people that that we know wink wink uh that nudge, fo- nudge. focus too much on the numbers and trying to solve the social media algorithms when um i'll give you an example like google like google their goal is that they want people to use their search engine over others they want their customer experience to be the best so they obviously don't want it to be so easy for you to be able to abuse the algorithm with crap content to be at the top of the list, right? So they'll come up with different stuff to figure out as part of the algorithm to figure out if it's actually content people want to search for. That's why people use Google because when you search for something you want, generally it's there. It's actually what you want. They, yeah. They've defeated. So I think I feel like once you try to solve one of these things on these other platforms, they're going to figure out a way so that you don't abuse it. I think that's my opinion, and um, yeah, again, this is not my area of expertise, and <laughs> like, it's not even an area where I know enough to know how much I don't know. I don't even know that much, you know, the Dunning Kruger <laughs> effect. Like, oh, thank you. Uh, but like, you know, in Magic, one of the things you know, as you get better, you realize how many things you're doing wrong and how much more there is to know. Like, I know, you know, if you talk to like the pros, they'll be like, "I'm so terrible at this game." It's like then who's good? It's like the answer, nobody. We're all bad. We're all making tons of mistakes all the time. And, you know, it's like there's a, a lot of places you can improve. But, you know, you talk to the beginner at the, the card store and they're just thinking like, oh, I just got unlucky again. Nothing I can do. This is, this is, this is crap, you know. And it's the same thing with a lot of things, you know. At a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. So we can, that's a, a good wrap-up. No, I had more. I had more. Oh, you have more? Wow. <laughs> okay, fine, fine. I'm going to drink this lovely water provided by Esports Central, all capitalized. <laughs> okay, yeah, um, while I finish up. Um, and I feel what's interesting, and this might go to another show, um, it's about how a lot of people that are starting projects, and, and I only realize that now, uh, like a few of them, when they, when they start a big project, they generally sometimes have maybe... Um, a marketing degree or marketing type background. Um, I used to be subscribed to something called MTG Insider that was uh, started by Mike Long and, and, and David Mills. Uh, Dave Mills, both who had PT success. And uh, he was like one of the first that started this like subscription-based site a long time ago. And I think it was like 50 bucks a month maybe. And uh, even Sam Stoddard, who used to or still currently works uh, for Watsi, that's how I met him. We were both like part of this group and it was like the site marketed as being like having all this hot tech. And of course, as someone that wanted the latest tech or, or was easily uh, like influenced by that, at the, that stuff at the time, I, I subscribe and it worked. And uh, I think I, I read 
You got you did you get tech or did you, was it snake oil that you were sold after all? Um the thing is like there is so just because you use marketing doesn't mean like the content is crap, right? Like me, the table for two ideas that I came up with is like how do I what's a good angle to market the podcast to get it like you want the foot in the door people's foot in the door and part of it was like the pictures the photos of food and stuff and then they sort of learn about the, the cast that way it was a nice excuse yeah, it's, nonsense. it's nonsense we don't have those pictures of food anymore we need more pictures <laughs> of food do you know how we get those you treating me to delicious meals <laughs> so i'm just saying like that's like listeners a... you should buy some coffees and tell tell them they're for kyd to treat me to delicious food <laughs> okay. healthy food though because i don't want to you know pick up too much of a belly so that's an example of a Twitter, a small Twitter tactic or whatever that were, that were, that, okay, no, not were, that I'm, I'll take, I'll take full oh, responsibility. it's all credit that, that I'm responsible for and that uh, I'm experimenting to get, but still the content itself like this is not, is not fluff. So even though Mike Long had all this like marketing thing, he actually did do videos almost on a daily basis about actual new decks. So one deck that I brought to regionals was his deck was a turbo bringer of the Black Dawn list that was actually quite good. Uh, surprisingly, mm -hmm. like people were talking about, were raving about like real life people who saw me play with it, were, were in love with it. And um, the only, pro like it, it played Chrome Mox, Kodama's Reach just to get an early black bringer and then you would untap with it and find counter spells or whatever the solution is the only reason it wasn't like tier one it was is it was like in the same format as shrapnel blast i think and that's why it's like you, you spend all this effort and, and then you get shrapnel blast yeah, yeah so so that was bad but he did the thing is he had all this marketing but he actually put in some effort onto the content um but of course like the, the whole site was it looked like those typical you know, if you don't subscribe now or whatever, yeah. get this born. So, so I mean, that's the thing. You're you're the marketing guy. I'm the content guy. I'm I focus on provide trying to provide quality content. You know, whether it's quality trolling, which is my favorite, but also quality magic <laughs> insights. You know, but and you know that's that's our partnership. You know, it's kind of right. like what I was talking about earlier. Magic. <laughs> you know, when you play magic, you want to find people who are good at the things. But I think in life, that's valuable too. Like. You know, you're very good at the marketing stuff, but you suck at magic. And then, like, you know. <laughs> I'm not your pincushion. <laughs> Shout out to Thierry Allegrucci. I'm not your pincushion, Alex. I'm also a good magic player. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, no, you are, you are, you are. Uh, you're, you're the Arena Super Cup <laughs> champion. I sometimes, want, I sometimes always say Super Arena Cup for some reason. But, yeah, I, to conclude by saying, like, just because there is marketing doesn't mean there's no substance, right? Just because yeah. even if it looks cheesy as heck, it, it doesn't really mean there's no substance and and like I, I was laughing because I was Google searching like MTG salvation uh, Forums and the post was like lately. I've been hearing a lot of talk about MTG insider. What is MTG insider? Yes It is a magic the gathering website by David Mills and Mike long to sign up. I believe it is uh, 50 bucks it is mainly a pay saver magic tech however who can trust mike long it is mike long after all the website <laughs> looks really bad like if it were trying to sell some bogus timeshares uh so yeah like it, it it looked really bad and i didn't know too much about mike long at the time to know about his sketchy past and stuff i just thought and the videos were, were like yeah you wanted to be an mtg insider right? in, mtg insider and that was a time when people were not actively using camtasia studio to make 
videos. I'm talking about he might have been the first one, one of the first to do that. Um, like yeah. Brain Burst, it was just written content for a while, even SCG, until they had people play videos. So it was interesting to, to feel like you had the end from two Pro Tour champions. But then later on, I realized that MTG Insider was actually an experiment for, like, but he did put out real content. Was it worth 50 bucks a month? Probably not. But later on, I would find... It find, wasn't. It, it would narrator, find, narrator, it wasn't. <laughs> later on, I would find out that this was like a vehicle for his future marketing endeavors to the point that oh, wow. he started to make all these like SEO, money-making courses. He was actually in a lot of Ty Lopez videos. Wow. He ended up so making... He, he was selling these beans that wouldn't couldn't say magic beans because, you know, that's against FCC regulations, but, you know, he was saying, if you plant these beans, maybe you'll get a giant beanstalk that you can steal money from a giant, you know, may, you know, but no guarantees. And people are like, holy crap, magic beans. But yeah, I mean... He started it, it definitely up. does seem like you kind of got, you know, hook, line, and sinkered a little bit. But, I mean, and, and certainly nowadays, think just the spread of content is so big. There's just so much content you can devour and so much for free. And, you know, it's, it's hard to, like, want to pay for even higher quality content, which you can get, right? Um, but there's, you know, you, there's no, no real service like that. I guess the, um, the closest thing there's now this um, Academy, what's it, Spikes Academy, has some, some videos... But like tech doesn't stay secret that long anymore. If if this this thing people would just spread it around. If this that thing existed, and certainly, yeah, Mike Long isn't someone I would necessarily trust. Right, right. Now now that I know what I know, but at the same time, I feel like because they 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 uh, they would they wrote a book that I feel like a lot of the content uh, Patrick Chapin either collaborated with or used. Uh, for his first book because uh, I saw a lot of some similarities in them and they would do draft videos and so it's not like they didn't do nothing was likely not worth 50 bucks at the same time and uh, but then seeing how later on he he would make all these marketing courses team up with Ty Lopez on, on, on how to make money and use uh, MTG Insider as one of his case studies to marketing success you know you're just like okay maybe he didn't really care after all but <laughs> I, I mean ah. I, it's hard to say I, it, well it's it's in, interesting because I didn't even know this existed you know yeah. and I and let alone that one of my close friends was Klein Sinkard but <laughs> but the marketing works that's all it yeah mar marketing marketing does work you know that's why that's why you guys got to spread the love for Table for Two. <laughs> and I, I want to see tweets like, Table for Two is my favorite magic podcast. Alex is hilarious and KYT's laugh is contagious. You should be writing this down, by the way, everyone. And then, <laughs> and you know, check it out at insanemtg.com. Also check out Alex's stream. Also, you know, hashtag sponsored. Also, make sure to check out First Strike Podcast. KYT's on that, too. <laughs> plug, plug, plug. Yeah, I, yeah I'm, I'm trying to... Like, looking back, you know... Looking at young KYT who wanted to become an... Who wanted to be an MTG insider. That's what... I mean. Yeah. You know? I mean, I think that's the thing. Stuff is worth what people are willing to pay for it, right? It's a lesson of capitalism. And... Young KYT was willing to spend 50 of his hard-earned dollars 
to find out about this bringer of the Black Dawn deck that, frankly, <laughs> sounded sweet for check swing at the time. <laughs> but I mean, we can't say fifty bucks is a lot. Like Spikes Academy, ninety nine dollars per course. So we're, table for two. How much is it? I mean, hopefully free. This free. is free right now. You're getting you're getting this elixir to your ears. You know. <laughs> Nectar of the Gods, right right here in this, this content from KYT. He's teaching you how to market your campaign. I, See, frankly, I'd be more interested in an MTG outsider. You know, you're like, you know, on the fringes. Who who is giving you those deck techs, you know? We, we got we got here in the back in the background we got a Travis Wu brew, you know? I think people would would actually relate to that to being an outsider. They might love that. Yeah, they might love it. I'm copywriting it right, right now. Before we gotta get that done before the podcast released. <laughs> um, well, anyways, last line to repeat what I what I wanted to talk about was basically that you know marketing works, and but that doesn't mean that there's no substance. It's a case by case basis. But some people do focus too much on the marketing, trying to solve, and and, and then their content is complete garbage because they're not. Yeah. Good marketing doesn't mean good content. Bad marketing doesn't mean bad content. Right. And but good marketing also doesn't mean good content. Correct. Yeah, that's that's a good summary. Thank you. Appreciate it. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Yeah. All right. So with that, we'll talk to you next time and uh, treat us to some coffees. Well, to me, to some coffees, so I can pay for Alex's meals. Yeah. I, I get I get none of the money from this. This is just to, to feed <laughs> KYT and his, his starving family. <laughs> He's right. got it, you know. His 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 his, his wife uh, Caddy's gone hooked on on League of Legends, so he needs to <laughs> buy fancier and fancier computers. Keep up. <laughs> All right, bye everyone. Peace. Peace.